Hello and uh, welcome to our service today. This uh, last few weeks we've been in a preaching series called Out of the Wilderness and the idea of this series is to consider our current situation we're in, that kind of just come through the uh, peak of a virus uh, with all of its strict social restrictions and we're not quite yet to business as usual but life is gradually returning to some sort of normality but with much of it still to navigate so we're kind of neither fully in one place nor fully in the in the other and in one sense that's kind of like a, a wilderness for us we're neither in one city nor the other And then we're sort of mapping that onto the experience of the Israelites in the years after leaving the slavery of Egypt and finding themselves in a wilderness situation. If you know the story, God brings the Israelites out from uh, 400 years of slavery under Pharaoh. They experience the 10 plagues, they cross the Red Sea, and then they find themselves in a wilderness for 40 years. In 1 Corinthians 10, the passage that we've been using as the background for this series, Paul tells us that those things, these things happened to them as examples and that they were written down as a warning for us. So it's important to pay attention to that wilderness experience and to make sure that we learn the lessons that they perhaps did and didn't at times and avoid the sort of mistakes that they made that were harmful and actually at times even fatal. So the Israelites had come out of Egypt, and they were heading for a place called Canaan. And between those two places is about 250 miles of wilderness. Uh, It's about 11 days walking. But in response to their attitude towards God in those early days after leaving Egypt, instead of an 11-day walk, God decided to keep them in the wilderness for 40 years. 40 years of wilderness wanderings, 40 years of camping, that sounds pretty hellish in itself, 40 years of learning to grow up from baby Israel to grown-up Israel under the fathering and the care and the training of God. It's hardly surprising that Paul encourages us to learn some significant life lessons from their experience. The 40-year wilderness journey was to shape Israel and the people of God forever. The wilderness is where Israel grumbled and put God to the test, and it didn't work out well for them. It was where Israel slipped into idolatry and worshipped false gods, and it didn't go well for them. It was also where Israel learned to love God, and it went better, and it was where they learned to depend on God for their everyday needs and for their protection from their enemies. I often read this part of the Bible and reflect on my own kids as they grow up. Sometimes when they were much younger, when things didn't go their way, they'd throw a tantrum. But over the years of investing in them and showing them loving kindness and at times loving discipline, they've learned to increasingly know how to function well as well-adjusted humans who know their place in the world and their worth to God. And most importantly, who God is and how to love him. And so too with baby Israel. They threw tantrums. They rebelled against God, their father, and they had to learn the slow, painful lessons of what it means to live in community with one another 
and to trust God wholeheartedly. Now, why have we chosen to teach this? It's because, as Paul said, those wilderness lessons were for our good too. And as I said earlier, there's an argument to say that where we find ourselves in this current iteration of history is a kind of a wilderness for us too. We've just come through the significant pandemic spike and we've negotiated that challenge. But now we find ourselves in this strange new land, not quite knowing from one day to the next where our leaders are going to take us or how we're supposed to live. It's, a, as I said, a kind of wilderness experience, a potentially unsteady and uncertain time. Do we have to wear face masks? And for how long? When will we be able to sing in churches again? Will we have a second spike of the virus? When will we be able to gather properly and life return to normal? And in this kind of wilderness, we run the risk of making all the same kind of mistakes that the Israelites made in the wilderness too, grumbling and infighting and idolatry. And today, I'm going to talk to you specifically about the deadly danger of unbelief. To do that, we're going to look at a story in Exodus 17. If you uh, have your Bible, you can turn there now. Uh, I'll read it to you, and if you're watching this online today, welcome. The words will come up on the screen as well, and you can read along with me. Now, this is not very long after Israel have escaped from Egypt, and they've crossed the Red Sea, and it's the third of three episodes where in spite of seeing all the mighty saving works of God in Egypt, in parting the Red Sea and providing food and water every day, they complain and they grumble against God again. They fall into the same old trap of the deadly danger of unbelief. And so that's the heads up for where I'm going with this message. I, I want us to learn how not to do what they did in this episode and fall into the unbelief of the wilderness. Exodus 17.1 the Israelites have just arrived at a place called Rephidim in the wilderness. Let's read. This chapter is called Water from the Rock. The whole Israelite community set out from the desert of Sin, traveling from place to place as the Lord commanded. They camped at Rephidim, but there was no water for the people to drink. So they quarreled with Moses and they said, Give us water to drink. Moses replied, why do you quarrel with me? Why do you put the Lord to the test? But the people were thirsty for water there, and they grumbled against Moses. They said, why did you bring us up out of Egypt to make us and our children and our livestock die of thirst? And then Moses cried out to the Lord, what am I to do with these people? They are almost ready to stone me. The Lord answered Moses, Go out in front of the people. Take with you some of the elders of Israel and take in your hand the staff with which you struck the Nile and go. And I will stand there before you by the rock at Horeb. Strike the rock and water will come out of it for the people to drink. So Moses did this in the sight of the elders of Israel and he called the place Massah and Meribah because the Israelites quarreled and because they tested the Lord, saying, is the Lord amongst us or not? Imagine that. God has provided everything they need, but there's no water at this place. And so the people shout at God and they threaten to stone Moses. And what does God do? Does he zap them with lightning? No. He says, Moses, come over here. 
bring the elders, stand in front of the people so they can all see you. And then I'm going to stand on a rock here on this mountain, and I want you to hit that rock, strike the rock, and I'll provide water. In other words, I'll take this one for you. Strike me, and I'll provide what you need. This episode is so significant, and it cuts so deeply into the wilderness experience and into the relationship between God and his people that Moses changes the name of the encampment. And this story reappears throughout Scripture at a number of places. And every time, as we'll see tonight, it's used as a warning not to fall into disbelief by hardening your heart and quarreling against God. Up until then, that place was called Rephidim, and now Moses renames it Massah and Meribah. That means testing and quarreling, because that's where they tested and quarreled against God. Imagine that. It's like us renaming this place, the church where Gateway lost its faith in God. We, we really don't want to be known as that. So with that in mind, what can we learn from this episode There are three things I want us to look at, but actually one of the most helpful places to go to from here is Hebrews 3, which tells us how God saw this whole sorry situation and what he decides in response. Jump with me to Hebrews 3 verse 7. It's worth noting that this book, the the book of Hebrews, was written to Hebrews in the first century, who decided to follow Jesus. But they were under extreme pressure and persecution to revert back to Judaism. And so they were at great risk of hardening their hearts and not believing the message of Jesus. They were, again, uh, under the deadly danger of unbelief. This is what that passage says. Hebrews 3.7. So as the Holy Spirit says, Today, if you hear his voice... Do not harden your hearts as you did in the rebellion during the time of testing in the wilderness where your ancestors tested and tried me, though for 40 years they saw what I did. That is why I was angry with that generation. I said, their hearts are always going astray and they have not known my ways. So I declared on oath in my anger, they shall never enter my rest." See to it, brothers and sisters, that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. But encourage one another daily, as long as it's called today, so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. In other words, this is what we learn from this wilderness account. They hardened their hearts, they didn't trust God, and they never entered into God's rest. To harden your heart means to become deliberately resistant to God's will, to fall into the deadly danger of unbelief and to completely miss God's plan for you and forfeit the peace and rest that's on offer to you even today by believing on Jesus. That's what the writer of the book of Hebrews is saying and it's what I'm saying to you today. Don't go back to your old ways. Believe Jesus Keep going, and you will know the rest and the peace of God. Don't forfeit that because it seems easier or because circumstances aren't lining up with how you think things should be. In other words, don't harden your heart. Not only did the Israelites not enter into the land promised to them where they would have found rest, 
but they never entered into any kind of rest because they ended up extending their camping trip from 11 days to 40 years because of rebellion. That whole generation, including Moses, died in that wilderness. This sermon is called The Deadly Danger of Unbelief because their unbelief in a time of wilderness literally killed them. And that's our learning for today as well. So let's look at three things therein. The first one, and this is almost too obvious to say, but I'm going to say it anyway, don't test God and don't despise his ways. The thing about the wilderness is not that the Israelites ran from Egypt and then crossed the Red Sea and then misread their maps to get to Rephidim. In Exodus 13, it tells us that by day, God went ahead of them in a huge pillar of cloud to guide them on their way, and by night as a pillar of fire to give them light. In other words, God led them into the wilderness, and he led them to Rephidim, where he knew there was no water. And their attitude in that place has gone down in history as an example of how not to trust God in a dry place. If this season feels like that to you, if it feels like a dry place or a confusing place or a wilderness place, you will probably be tempted to disbelieve. That's okay. That's human, but decide not to do it anyway. It'll shrivel your soul, which will shrivel your faith, and that's the road to spiritual death. We believe Jesus. If this story tells us anything It's that God is sovereign over all situations, including coronavirus. And this strange in-between place that we find ourselves in, even here, he has a plan, even if it doesn't appear like it to us, even when it feels wilderness-like. God didn't misread the map either. He knew where Rephidim was, and he knew he wanted his people there. Why? In Psalm 81.7, we learn why. God says, I tested you at the waters of Meribah. That was God's plan all along. Oftentimes, God leads us into a wilderness to test our hearts, to shape us, to cause us to delve deep into our hearts and to trust him again. That's what God was doing here with baby Israel. A few chapters back, they'd just finished grumbling about the flavor of the water, and so God made it sweet. Then they complained about having no interesting food, so God provided manna and quail for dinner every day. And so with those miracles in mind, God takes them to Rephidim to test them and see if they would trust him this time. But they didn't. And in that sense, what we see here is a vital story of how God was training this baby Israel. And maybe in this wilderness now, he's testing and shaping you. Will you trust him? The writer Carmen Imes says that for Israel, the wilderness wasn't just a place to pass through, it was the workshop of their becoming. Don't test God and don't disbelieve him. Even if it looks dry and uncertain around you, he is your father, he is good, and he knows what you need, and he is always at work in your heart. Maybe this season of corona for us isn't just something to pass through. Maybe part of what God is doing here is the workshop of our becoming. 
as elders in the church, we're in faith that in this season, God is doing a hidden work amongst us, one that will sharpen us and hammer out faith in our hearts and teach, him to love, teach us to love him in a new way. And we're in faith that even now, he is at work developing a root system amongst us, that the mature tree of our communal faith as a church might bear sweet fruit in this season of life ahead of us. That would be to know God's rest, the kind of rest that this passage in Hebrews refers to. The second lesson here, don't just let this one wash over you. It's important to actively do this. Unstop your ears and keep your heart soft. The events of that day in the wilderness are also talked about in Psalm 95. This puts it brilliantly It says in verse 7 of Psalm 95, Today, if only you would hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as you did at Meribah, as you did that day at Massah in the wilderness, where your ancestors tested me. They tried me, though they had seen what I did. For 40 years I was angry with that generation. I said they are a people whose hearts go astray, and they have not known my ways. So I declared on oath, in my anger, they shall never enter my rest. The first half of that psalm, I I didn't read it, but it's all worship. It's let's come into the presence of the Lord with a joyful noise and worship him. It's an instruction to come to God with singing and worship. And then we get to this part, which is just warning. And that's because there is no true worship without obedience. And importantly, it's not the obedience of yesteryear that counts. This passage specifically refers to how we are not to harden our hearts today. It's how we respond to God in the here and now that matters. Those Israelites heard his voice. They ignored his voice. They saw his leading. They rebelled against his leading. By definition, they hardened their hearts. And the result... God was angry with them for 40 years, and he declared, they shall not enter my rest. One day, we will know God's rest fully when we see him face to face in heaven. But there is also a rest for the people of God now, today. There was for them then as well, even in the wilderness, but they forfeited it by hardening their hearts and ignoring his words. Next week, Nathaniel will explain more about what it means to enter into God's rest. But consider this question. In your heart, in your obedience to God, are you operating from a place of settled confidence and trust? Are you believing and choosing to believe Jesus? Or are you quarreling and dissatisfied with God because things aren't going the way you think they should? If the latter then you might be at risk of blocking your ears to God and ultimately hardening your heart towards him. We are called to rest in God, to operate from a place of rest and trust in him. And that is liberating, like slaves being liberated from Egypt. 
This is a critical time for us as the people of God to dig in again, to check our hearts, to commit fully to the family of God, to start thinking how we can gather again as the Bible instructs us to. That's the lion's share of what we're doing as leaders at the moment. We're thinking about ways in which we can enable that instruction and help people to gather safely together and encourage one another to stay the course and to not harden our hearts and to keep trusting God. We've done so well so far as a people. But the Israelites also started off really well in the Exodus story, following God and seeing his mighty hand of rescue. That went horribly wrong when things didn't live up to their expectations. And within weeks of leaving Egypt, they were grumbling, fighting, worshipping a golden idol. And here they are, ready to stone Moses. In Numbers 14, they actually say, Let's appoint another leader. Why? To take us back to Egypt. King David, in one of his songs, thanks God for unstopping his ears. It literally says for digging out his ears so that he can hear the words and instructions of God. Lord, that my brothers and sisters and I would keep a soft heart and open ears towards you and to one another in the season, and that we would know your rest. Thirdly, and finally, God is a master at providing what we need in the wilderness. He has good form in this area. What we need to do is trust him for it. If unbelief is deadly, then what's the solution? Of course, it's, it's belief. It's trust in him for what we need. I've personally had a season of um, all sorts of things breaking in my house. First, our dishwasher broke, then our washing machine broke, then our microwave broke, and most recently and spectacularly, our bathroom broke. It cost us lots of money and a whole lot of stress. On Father's Day, we were enjoying a leisurely family film in the living room, and then we looked up and water had started dripping through from the bathroom upstairs. And so I went for a walk, and my thoughts went something like this. God, what are you doing? I don't need this right now. I'm busy and stressed enough, and I don't have the money or the time to fix it. And then he reminded me, I am your father. I am good, and I know what you need. If we really believe that, we're bulletproof. There is no situation that we can't endure and thrive in him in. If we believe that he is for us, that he is good to us, and that he knows how to provide, we operate from a place of rest. I believe that God's been leading me into a kind of rephidim myself lately, testing my heart, shaping me, checking that I still trust his promises and will choose to keep my heart soft and to believe him. As we finish, let's look at how he provides water in this story. Moses is on the verge of getting stoned by the people. Moses cries out, Lord, what am I to do with these people? And God says, Moses, come out in front of the people, bring the elders with you and bring your staff. And in front of the people, I am going to stand on a rock on this mountain and I want you to strike that rock and water will come out. And that's what happens. Look what's happening here. God has stood on a rock and allowed himself to be struck for the people and water has come gushing forth bringing life. Does that sound familiar? It 
should do because a few thousand years later, God the Son, Jesus, the rock, would once again allow himself to be struck for the people that he loved on the cross. And water would flow from his side. And streams of living water would flow into our hearts and give us life. That was a pretty wildernessy time for the people of God. It didn't look great as their savior hung on a cross. But it was the greatest victory for God that ever happened. He knows what we need. And through it, we gain the water of life. He is your father. He is good, and he knows what his people need. He did at Rephidim, he did on the cross, and he certainly does now. Believe him. Let me ask you this. Do you want to avoid the deadly danger of unbelief? Do you want to know life in all its fullness? Do you want to enter into his rest? Come and drink today from the living waters of the rock who was struck for you. He is our rest. Let's pray. Father, I thank you that you are good, that you are Father, and that you know what we need. And with those three things in mind, we choose to rest in you, knowing that whatever our circumstances and situations look like, You will provide exactly what we need and you will do exactly what is right and you will shape our hearts exactly as they need shaping in order to glorify yourself and to make us more like your glorious son, Jesus. And so again tonight, in this wilderness moment, in this dry time potentially for some people, we choose to come again and drink from the water, the living water of the rock, Jesus Christ, on whom we believe. Lord, be glorified. Amen. Amen.